I'm going to start in Second uh, Peter. Three different chunks of scripture I'm going to look at. The third will be my main uh, portion today, but we're going to go first to Second Peter chapter 1. Looking at verses 19 to 21 here. Second Peter 1, verse 19. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until a day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men, this is the key part here, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along uh, by the Holy Spirit, or moved by the Holy Ghost, as the KJV would say, or under the power of the Holy Spirit. Second uh, Timothy. to go to chapter 3. I'm going to look at verses 14 to 17. 2 so <clears throat> Timothy chapter 3. That's not important. Verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, or you've known the Holy Scriptures, or the sacred letters, as Mr. Darby would say. Are you acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped, or furnished, or fully fitted uh, for every good work. All Scripture is is breathed out by God. And finally, a Psalm chapter 19. This is going to be our main portion here today. I'm going to look at verses 7 to 11. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, chapter, uh, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord or the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And we know God's going to bless uh, the reading of his word. Um, like I said, these, these cluster of verses in, in chapter 19 are what I really want to look at today. Uh, God, through David, says some very specific things about his word, in his word. Uh, first, we came to Second Peter, where we discovered that uh, 
yes, we go through our Bibles, we see the, the, the authors at the beginning of the books, we understand that there are these, these human authors that wrote the Bible, but the main thrust of the, the point is that the Holy Spirit moved through men to get us uh, his message to us today. And then we went to Second Timothy, where once again we discovered that the origin of Scripture, uh, it's the sacred writings, the sacred letters, and those were breathed out by God, divinely inspired. And this is, this is a beautiful phrase to, to describe God's, God's authorship, that, that he breathed out his word, that he moved through holy men to get it to us. And this is God's heart and mind. And I would submit that everything that God wants us to know while we are here on earth is contained in that book that is sitting uh, on your lap right now. And as we go through, through David, I want to zoom in on some of these uh, characteristics that I believe the Holy Spirit through David is wanting us to pay attention to. These, really these precious points of praise that, that David is just, is really, he's, he's singing about God's word. That's really what he's doing. He's, he's singing here about what the word of God uh, means to him. So verse 7, we start at the law of the Lord is perfect. That's, that's really where David's uh, song about the characteristics of God's word starts. The law of the Lord is perfect. David understood that there was to be no fault found whatsoever in the law. Uh, the Hebrew translation of uh, perfect is tamem, which means complete, whole, entire, sound, everything. There's, there's nothing more uh, to be added. So God had given his law in the Pentateuch to David, and he realized that there was nothing uh, to be added to it or taken away from it. And as we go through the Old Testament, we discover that exchange that Moses would have with the children of Israel. Uh, there's two occasions in Deuteronomy that, talking about, that talk about uh, adding to and taking away from the Bible. Moses was very clear in Deuteronomy 4 and 2. He would say, you shall not, so this is God speaking through Moses, you shall not add onto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And then further on in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and 32, What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So God is saying to us in his Bible, Do not remove things from my word. It's my word. It's my law. It's complete. It's tamem. It's entire. It's sound. There's nothing new to be added to it. And there's nothing that I get to, by my own discretion, take away because it either makes me feel uncomfortable or I don't like it. And that, that's a really precious thing to kind of sit here, right, right here now, to look at your Bible and to think that absolutely everything that God wants to say to me is, is right here. There's no, there's no additional uh, light that I need to seek. There's no additional uh, revelation. Everything is completely here for me. And no new revelation is being discovered. No new uh, light is being given like some cults would propose. Uh, the man who sits in a cave and claims that he has a new revelation or light from God, is getting a revelation from Satan, not from the Savior. This is complete. It's tamem. There's nothing to be added to it or to be taken away from it. And to think that God in his grace would, would work through his servants to have his entire word translated into our own language for us to be sitting here today. People, people bled. They died. They were imprisoned because they wanted to translate the Bible into the common tongue. And that's, that's something, kind of a side note that I don't really want to get into today, but do go home and do your research. You know, 
Google, try to figure out how you got your English translation of the Bible, all the people that were involved, and all the crazy things that, that happened just to get an English version of this on your lap here today. So notice the effect that the perfect word of God has upon us. The next line you, you read is reviving the soul, restoring the soul, converting the soul as the KJV puts it. That's the, that's the thrust of the meaning. And I think we all know that David knew a little something about restoration and revival in his own life. And so do we. The Hebrew meaning of, of, of reviving here is shuv, which means to return, to turn back. And David knew something about that. And, and this is the effect that, this is what happens when, when, a, when a human being has the perfect word of God in their hand. And they, and they take it seriously and they understand what it truly is. It has a reviving, restoring effect upon us. It keeps us from getting complacent. Because by its very nature, the word of God um, corners us and it challenges us. And then it causes us to change and conform to the image of Jesus Christ. We then have our next attribute. The testimony of the Lord is sure. His witness is sure. And and, and notice the effect of of such a testimony, such a witness. Your next line is going to be making wise the simple. This is not by the world's standards, um, but by the standards of the God-breathed sound Tamem word. And, and this is and what you have in your lap today. This is, this is true knowledge. This is true wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. Heavenly wisdom. Job would ask in, in chapter 28 and starting with verse 12 Job would say, but where shall wisdom be found? And really this is the question I think of, of all mankind at, at some point in our lives we, we want guidance. We want wisdom. We, we want to know what's what. We want to know what's true and what's false. So Job would ask but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not in me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver can, cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. But God understands the way to it. And he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. So Joel understood that true wisdom can't be found in the natural world. David understood this, and Paul understood this uh, when working amongst a Greek people whose culture was really characterized by by new wisdom. Give me something new. Give me something I don't know. Give me something I haven't heard before. I want wisdom. I want knowledge. The the true sacred wisdom that God wishes to uh, implant in each and every one of us. That's That's what the word of God is. True illumination 
and enlightenment is found in the sure testimony of the Lord. Verse 8, the precepts or the statutes of the Lord are right. So his way is correct. David's wanting to know his way is correct. His way is yashar. Yashar is the Hebrew word uh, for right. And one of its primary meanings is, is a straight level ground. So it has no variations. It has consistency. And I love, I love when, when James says in James chapter 1 and verse uh, 17, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. KJV says there's no variableness uh, with God. And I love how we discover this beautiful attribute of the Lord, that he has no variation or shadow due to change, very unlike us. The hymn writer says, I change, he changes not. And one of the most beautiful things about God's word is that it adopts his character. His word adopts who he is. His word, like him, does not change. It is the living word. And translations may be introduced. The English language may change from century to century to century. Uh, but the meaning, the thought, the promises, purposes, of, and plans of God do not change whatsoever. His word, like him, does not change. And this brings us, like it did David, a rejoicing of the heart. You're going to notice in the next line that what's the, what's the response of this, this consistent, this straight level ground uh, type, of, type of word, a rejoicing of the heart. And, and really, each of us can acknowledge what, what peace and joy it has brought at different times in our lives when we can go to this and know that it is straight level ground. Uh, that our God doesn't change regardless of, of the circumstances around us. How very unlike us. His eternal purposes, promises, and plans for me do not change. And our, and our fallen, sin-stricken world is really characterized by change. Um, uncertainty, confusion. The Bible would call it strange winds of doctrine. And what a beautiful, lovely, steadfast, and sure word we have. And what a beautiful, lovely, steadfast Lord we have. His word adopts his, his character, his consistency, his steadfastness. Priscilla Jane Owens would write, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And are you grounded firm and deep uh, in the love of the Lord today? And really, the, the question, though that is really the primary question that every single human being needs to ask themselves. What I want to ask you specifically today are, are, are you grounded firm and deep in, in his word? The true joy that you were meant to have, true rejoicing, true happiness, real joy can only be found in a life anchored uh, by God's word. Next we have the commandment of the Lord is pure. So another attribute of God's word is coming out. MacArthur in his commentary mentions that uh, these commandments, uh, that they are to be perceived as divine orders, orders uh, from the king. No hidden motive, uh, no hidden agenda, uh, no outside influence influencing God and his word. Undefiled, untainted, unadulterated. The purity of his word. And notice, notice the effect that it has. Notice what is brought about by the pure commands of the king. You're going to read that next line enlightening the eyes to give us proper sight the king's commands uh, help us to see uh, properly 
see correctly. This is very similar to the wisdom portion that we addressed uh, before. This is, this is true illumination. Simply, it helps us to see what is right and what is wrong. And because his commandments are pure, uh, by his very nature, his word is going to expose what is not. Purity is going to expose what is, what is impure. And that's what God's word does. His word cuts. His, his word divides. His word uh, separates. It gives us clarity. It gives us a clearer, brighter vision. It's probably one of the, one of the attributes I appreciate most. Is With God, there, there's often no gray zone. He makes it very black and white. And oftentimes, the gray zone is inserted by us, not by him. And all around us is darkness, and sometimes it's incredibly hard to see. And I was talking with my little brother about this yesterday. You know, you, you feel it on you, that the haze and fog of sin on a daily basis. You just, you just feel the, the weight of it just pressing around the Christian on a daily basis. We were both enjoying this, this verse yesterday, that... that Thy word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path. You see it so many times in Sunday school. We're just sitting and acknowledging that what God's word actually does. In 2 Samuel, we find that, that precious statement in chapter 22 and 29. For thou art a lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. So thank God for the purity of his word that enlightens our eyes. The next portion I want to touch on is the second half of verse 9. Don't want to touch on the fear of the Lord for, for time's sake. That's a, that's a whole other message. But uh, this next line, the rules or judgments of the Lord are true. The rules or judgments of the Lord are true. All his purposes, promises, and plans uh, are true. The entire word of God is true. He is true. And as we said before, his word naturally adopts his character. C.H. McIntosh, the Bible commentator, would say the Bible, God's word, is the transcript of the living word. We understand that the Lord in the Bible is referred to as the living word. This is his transcript. This is what he has to say. And I love how I can unreservedly fully trust this, um, that I can fully trust him. And in a world that is characterized by deception, by lures that are meant to entice and ensnare you, it's nice to go home. It's really encouraging and empowering to know that on my desk sits something that I can perfectly and unreservedly trust, that I can go to it and know that I'm not going to miss some fine print in between the verses or some clause I wasn't aware of. I get to go to it and fully uh, trust it. John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken... And will he not make good? And the ESV says, will he not fulfill it? Or how about Hebrews 6 and 18, where the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews declares, it is impossible, it is absolutely impossible for God uh, to lie. Here is truth, in the fullest sense. The word true finds its perfection in the word of God. Spurgeon, at the age of 22, would declare one of, during one of his earliest recorded sermons, he would say, and I quote, Here from the fountain, I, I, I love how he describes this, Here from the fountain gushes aqua vito, the water of life, without a single particle of earth. Here from the sun there comets forth rays of radiance without the mixture of darkness. Blessed Bible, thou art all truth. And his sermon would go on. Then since God wrote it, mark its truthfulness. If I had written it, 
there would be worms of critics who would at once swarm on it and would cover it with their evil spawn. Had I written it, there would be men who would pull it to pieces at once, and perhaps quite right too. But this is the word of God. Come, search ye critics, and find a flaw. Examine it from its genesis to its revelation, and find an error. There is a vein of gold, unalloyed by quartz or any earthly substance. There is a star without speck, a sun without a blot, a light without darkness, a moon without its paleness, a glory without a dimness. O Bible, it cannot be said of any other book that it is perfect and pure. But of, we, but of thee we can declare all wisdom is gathered up in thee without a particle of folly. This is the judge that ends the strife. Where wit and reason fail, this is the book untainted by any error, but is pure, unalloyed, perfect truth. Why? Because God wrote it. And the final line of his sermon would be, By this I stand, and by this I fall. The truth of God's word. Now the next line. Uh, and righteous altogether. I like how the NLT renders this, uh, each one is fair in regards to the commandments of the Lord. They're righteous altogether, each one is fair. He is righteous, holy, just, and fair. And once again, we understand his word adopts his character. And oftentimes, I have my own idea of what's righteous altogether. I have my own idea of, uh, of what's fair in life. His wisdom versus my wisdom, uh, the fleshly, earthly, fallen wisdom. Not understanding that, that God is truly for me, he's not against me. That his ways are fair, and I'd understand that if I would only uh, submit to them. That phrase, uh, that's not fear, really dominates a lot of our subconscious on a daily basis. And it can be really hard, I, I admit it is. Like We discussed before, like you feel it on a daily basis. You look around you and... and and you tell yourself, this isn't fair, this, shouldn't, this isn't right, this isn't, this isn't how things should be. But there's also the, the fallen part of us that oftentimes what provokes us saying that's not fair is, is, is truly we want to be our own little God. And if we would spiritually prostrate ourselves, as it were, uh, to bask in the radiance of his word, we discover that it brings life and liberty not burdened in bondage like Satan would seek to deceive us into thinking. True freedom is found in God's word. I really want to. I really want to hit home with that today. That true freedom, true life and liberty, is found in the word of God. The fullest, most vibrant life you can have can only be found in swimming in this book every single day. By submitting to it, by letting it be the lens that you look at all of life through. And Satan, that vile liar, wants us to wants to deceive us into thinking that if we submit to God's word, that will be uh, restricted, that will be um, limited, that will be fenced in and hemmed in, that will be bound and will waste our potential. When in reality, all that Satan has for us is a, a cheap knockoff, counterfeit, I apologize if you like the yellow no-name brand version of, of what God has. That's really all Satan has to offer you. And if you're here today and you're not swimming in this, if you're not uh, submitting to it, not soaking it in like a sponge, what are you swimming in? What are you feeding on? What are, what are you soaking in on a daily basis? This is God's breathed out sacred life-giving scriptures. And if I... If, if I can respectfully say this, if you're not feeding on this on a daily basis, can I respectfully say you're, you're really you're feeding on 
rotten filth when there's a gourmet dinner sitting right beside you. This has everything he wants us for us in our life. And I know it's hard. Our, our hearts can become very cold, very encrusted. Mine does often. And I need grace daily to realize that his laws are fair. They're what's best for me. They're righteous altogether, to the highest degree, to the, the fullest joy and peace. John 15, John says in John 15 and 11, Christ here speaking of abiding in him and treasuring his commandments, says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you ever, do you ever tell yourself that? Do you ever tell yourself that? That the Lord actually wants my joy to be full. That's why I kind of take issue with people sometimes that say Christianity isn't about being happy. Well, maybe not the world's idea of of happiness, but there's a true spiritual, the pinnacle and the plateau of joy, of happiness, of peace and rest is found only in God's word. And that doesn't mean that life, you know, doesn't mean that there's, that life's always going to be easy. Life isn't always going to be roses, rainbows, and unicorns. Okay? Like, there's going to be hardship. There's going to be pain. There will be defilement, discouragement, and disappointment. But there is an implanted, a God-implanted joy, rest, and peace, and happiness that comes with coming to know the one, the one true God in Jesus Christ that he has sent. That's, the, that's God's purpose for you, is that you do not know about him, but you know him intimately, and know intimately the Savior that he sent. The idea in scripture of, of a tree planted by water and feeding on the nutrients that it was always meant to feed on, and that it can only bear the most fruit when it's feeding on the, the nutrients it was always meant to feed on. True joy, true happiness, true peace, true rest. It is righteous altogether. It's fair. It's what's best for me. Now we have our next line and attribute. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, or the finest gold. Or as the NLT puts it, um, yeah, the finest gold. Here we have the wealth of God's word, the value of God's word. His word is valuable to the highest degree. True wealth's pinnacle, its plateau, is found in the divinely inspired word of God. And daily, I want to have that attitude that there's nothing more valuable than this. It's more to be desired than any material wealth that I can accumulate in this brief temporary life. Uh, Jesus Christ would say uh, in Matthew, Lay not up treasures for yourself upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal. This is the true gold I should be mining for on a daily basis. Coming at this book like a miner, drilling into God's word to discover the gold and the precious gems that it holds for me. And what's incredible is that there's always going to be precious stones that I'm going to discover. But none more precious than than the rock of ages, the jewel of perfection, which is Jesus Christ. Consider the greatest possession you have here on earth. And it will fail in comparison when it comes alongside the word of God, it will shrivel away when it comes alongside this book. David doesn't just say gold, but says the finest gold. He understood that there is nothing here on earth more precious than this. It was, it was out of this world value. So do you value God's word? We talked about before how God has worked through people to get his word to us in, his own lang- in our own language. Notice the next phrase, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So now we have the taste of God's word. 
the writer in Psalm 119 says in verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Of real honey, Proverbs says, that I laughed when I read this, but of real honey, the Proverbs says in chapters 20, chapter 25, verse 16, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill and vomit it out. So a nice little verse on gluttony. And yet I can come to this book and I can let gluttony run rampant in God's word. He wants me to have my fill. I cannot have enough. You cannot have your fill whatsoever. And I love that thought that I can come here and pour into it as much as I want. C.H. McIntosh in his, in his pamphlet entitled How to Study Scripture says, We must go to Scripture as a thirsty man goes to a well, as a hungry man goes to a meal, as a mariner goes to a chart. We must go to it because we cannot do without it. We go not merely to study, but to feed. Remember as a kid, as a little boy, a William Metcalf from Sarnia was always saying at conferences, he would always say, Christian, read your Bible. And I would always get so annoyed as a kid, because every time I saw William Metcalf, I'm like, oh great, here we go, Christian, read your Bible, Christian, read your Bible. I know what he's going to open his sermon up with, Christian, read your Bible. But it wasn't until I actually started paying attention to his message that I caught the second half of the phrase. And he would say, Christian, read your Bible, not to fill your head, but to fill your heart. And that has stuck with me ever since I first started paying attention uh, to his lessons. It, it, there's a man that wants people to have a passion for the Word of God and to understand what they're actually holding in their hand. And can I ask you, like, when, when you get out of bed in the morning, is there that shriek of delight in your heart knowing that, that God's word is right around the corner on a desk or on your nightstand waiting for you to feast on? Or maybe it's, it's before bed or after work or after school. Is there that time of the day where you, you start inwardly hooting like a little kid at a carnival because you know you're about to go and feast on God's word and know that he's right there waiting for you? help you enjoy it. Can I reverently say it excites him, it, it, it pleases him to unleash the beauties of his word upon you. He wants you to feast. I love Psalm 27 and 8 where it says, uh, seek, uh, seek my face. The Lord says, seek my face. And the human being's response, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And I love how the NLT puts it, my heart has said, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Ruth, when she rose to, uh, in, in chapter 2, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Don't rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah of barley. And she took it up into the city. I recently enjoyed that thought from Ruth that, that, it was not only desired of Ruth by Boaz to glean in his field, but that he would purposely leave chunks, leave bundles for her to take into the city. That's a beautiful picture of the Lord uh, joining us as we read his word. And, and there's, that, there's that determination of his to give you something to go off into the city, uh, as it were. And finally in Ezekiel 3, And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and what was it? And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey, the taste of God's word. And finally, we have the warning and reward of God's word. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them is great reward. God has laid out boundaries and borders uh, in his word. 
We discussed earlier that Satan would seek uh, to deceive us into thinking that we're restricted and that we're restrained if we submit to them, that we're a part of some repressive regime living a lesser quality of life, when in actuality, it's those borders and boundaries that allow for the fullest, most vibrant, enjoyed life. It's the foolishness uh, to man, because sin has infested God's image bearers. It's foolish into thinking that his ways are burdensome when the Bible tells us his commandments aren't burdensome. God's warning is our freedom. The great warning of the Bible is this, Luke 13 and 3, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God is calling mankind to heed the warning siren of the gospel. Its reward is eternal life, sins forgiven, being made children of the Most High God, entering into the life that you were made for, the life you were always meant to have. With respecting and receiving his warnings comes reward. And I often feel so feeble and frail to even talk about heavenly rewards for a life here on earth that has submitted to God's word. Um, But it's there. God will say to some one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Matthew 25 and 21. I have this. This is this is. Let's, let's forget my my material possessions, my family, my house, whatever. I have this right here. Have I been faithful over it? Have I been faithful with it and to it? We each have this on our laps. Let's forget everything that we material things that we own. Have we been faithful to this? I'm going to have to give an account for that one day. It's the warning and the reward. Of God's word. My hope today is that is that we leave this room with a little a little more appreciation for what we're actually holding in our hands. That we that we swim in it every day, that we, we soak in it every day, that we feed on it every day, that we wrap ourselves in it like a blanket. This is his heart and mind. This is his message to me. This is God talking to you. This is this is what he would have to say if he was here right now physically talking to you. This is his word. And it is very, very precious.